conference slash revival slash rejuvenation uh, slash exfoliation, everything else, amen, that, you know, that, that happens, scrape off all the dead skin, and God is helping us and ministering uh, in our lives, and we really do appreciate that, and uh, all the men that have come and ministered to us and have helped us. i tell you what, we are excited. Uh, we're ready to win uh, San Antonio again for Jesus, amen. We're, we're ready to see God begin to pour his spirit out like never before. It was such an encouragement to hear uh, Pastor Cluck as he begins to tell us as a, as a mother church that, you know what, that God is going to begin to do things and to, to excite things and to work things, and we're going to begin to enter into a very, very powerful time of harvest, amen. But as he is saying this, there is also a warning, amen. And this warning is that sitting over at IHOP, you remember? There's a devil over there. Can you hear me? Amen. That when you leave this place this evening, that sitting over by IHOP, there's going to be a devil. Now, I don't know if he's eating or drinking coffee right now, but he's going to be waiting for you. And I begin to think about that, amen, because as I was uh, preparing the sermon, amen, I was uh, ministering, amen, and thinking about Hannah, Hannah, that here is this woman that her job, she learned English during the, uh, you know, the Vietnam War. And what she would do is she would begin to uh, broadcast in English, you know what, things about the troops and where the troop movements were. And she began to uh, uh, speak things that were negative and begin to challenge these men as they were going into the field. And the whole purpose of this woman's show was to demoralize the soldiers. It was to tell them things, amen, that you know what, that even though they heard it on the radio, that they didn't think that it would bother them, but as they entered into the field, as they begin to fight, as they begin to battle, what began to happen is these men would begin to think of those words that this woman began to say. She would say things like, you know what, you know, you're fighting a war that no one can tell you what you're fighting for. She would say, isn't it awful that you're going to war and you're going to die for no reason? reason other than people you know what just want to push their own agenda and she would begin to say these things and her job was to get into the minds of the soldiers so that when they were called on that they would not be able to make right decisions you know Satan is a Hannah Hannah and his job beloved is to get into our minds. His purpose is to begin to speak things in your ears and speak things in your spirit so that, you know what, that when you get out into the field, that you're going to begin to hear those little things in your mind. In the words of Glenn Cluck, the devil is a liar and his boyfriend is too. What could happen is we can begin to labor. We say, man, we're going to get planted. You know, we, we were getting planted in the beginning. But when you get into the field, sometimes you feel like you're getting buried. 
Say, oh, pastor, send this out. But you know what? We were planted, and you're there, and, uh, and uh, there's the devil. He goes, no, you weren't planted, bro. You were buried. <laughs> Don't you see the tombstone sitting up there? It has your name on it. Don't you see all the other names of all the other pastors that have come here? All the other ministries that have been started. You haven't been planted. You've been buried. He wants to get into our head. I want to preach, amen, a sermon I've called My Head, My Head out of 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, it's kind of a lengthy portion of Scripture, and so I will try to read it as quickly as possible. My prayer is that God help us. Amen. God help us in our minds. 2 Kings 4. The Bible says, Now it happened that on the day of Elisha went to shoot him, that there was a notable woman, and that she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, that he would turn into there and eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let, him make, please let us make a small upper room in the wall and let us put a bed in there for him and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us that he can turn there. And it happened that one day he came there, he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned with us, and you've taken all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king, to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. She said, uh, 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 What shall be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Actually, she has no son. Her husband is old. So he said, Call her. When he had called her, he stood, uh, she stood in the doorway, then he, and he said, About this time next year you shall embrace a son. And she says, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your ma uh, maidservant, but the woman, uh, 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 you shall embrace a son. But the woman conceived and bore a son at the appointed time had come, of which Elijah told her. The child grew, and now it happened that one day that he went out to, uh, with his father to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to the servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him, he brought him to his mother. He sat on her knees till noon and then died. Then he went up and laid him in the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. And she called her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So she said, Where, why are you going to him today? It is neither new moon or nor Sabbath. And he said, it is, she said, it is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive, go forward, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And she departed and she went to the man of God on Mount Carmel. And so it was that when the man of God saw her from afar off that he sent his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run to her and meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. Now when she had come to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden this from me and has not told me. She said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? 
Then he said to her, then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If, anyone, uh, if, any, if you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and said, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on the bed. And when he went, therefore, he shut the door behind them. He prayed to the Lord. He went up to lay and went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, went up again, stretched himself out on him. The child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes, and Gehazi uh, and he said, and he called Gehazi and said, "Call the Shunammite woman." So he called her, and when she had come to him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you, God, for your grace and your mercy in this place. God, we pray, Father God, that you would help your people. God, I thank you for the privilege and the honor of preaching your word, God. We give you praise and worship in the precious name of Jesus Christ. All of God's people said amen and amen. I want to look at with you, firstly, the dangers in the field. Because in this story, amen, I want to look at it from a little bit different perspective than maybe we're accustomed to looking at. Because there are three main characters that I want to touch on as we're looking at this. The mother, the child, and the man of God. Because oftentimes, amen, in our lives, we can glean from the word of God and understand that we can learn lessons, lessons of faith, lessons of ministry, lessons of life inside the Word of God. And I want you to look at this with me, amen, and I believe that God wants to help and minister in us because there are peculiar battles that you and I go through in life, that, that life has a way, amen, of, you know what, of going against the odds, that life has a way of throwing us curveballs, that there are battles, amen, that you and I can go through, amen. The book of Ma uh, uh, Matthew 13, Jesus speaks about the, a man that is going into a field and he is, he is going out and he is sowing seeds. And as he sows these seeds, they are good seeds, they are prosperous seeds. These seeds begin to, uh, you know what, begin to germinate but in the middle of the night when he is not aware what happens is an enemy comes along and he begins to scatter bad seed inside of the field he doesn't notice this amen it's not something that is very obvious on the outside but as life goes on he begins to look at his field and the good seed begins to grow up and then all of a sudden in between it all of a sudden bad seeds begin to grow that in life, beloved, this is a lesson, amen, that there are good things that happen inside of our life and there are bad things that happen inside of our lives. That life has a way of throwing us curveballs, that things don't always end up like we want them to or that we desire them to. And so the servants come to this master and he asks, he says, shall we pull up all the bad? And he says, no, he says, because if you pull up the bad, he says, you will also uproot those things that are good. 
And what is interesting about this story, beloved, is that they happen inside of a field. That you and I, we live in a field, amen. Our lives are like fields. They are like things that are planted inside, amen. And what happens, amen, is that when you're in the field, things happen to you. This boy was all right as long as he was home. Everything's great. He played with Legos, erector sets, and everything else, amen. Kids just love it, amen. They're there, but what happens is this boy, amen, eventually had to go out into the field and begin to labor. It is a picture, amen, of a mother church. It is a picture of getting saved. That you know what? That in your church, you know what? Things go well. Most people can make it to the next service because they're sitting in church. Most people don't think in their minds, I'm going to go fornicate, amen, when you're sitting in church. You don't think, oh, I'm going to go do drugs when you're sitting in church. You don't think, amen, of all the crazy battles when you're sitting inside of the church. But there's something about it when you go out into the field, when you begin to labor and things begin to happen inside of your life. All of a sudden, there are much bigger stakes then. That was a problem that we would run to and run into in the military. That injuries in the field were magnified because of the battle. You know, there are peculiar battles for those that are in the field. There are things that you're only going to go through when you're in the field, Pastor. There are things in your mind that are only going to wrestle after you get into ministry, not before, amen. That you're going along in life and everything is fine. And this boy said, my head, my head, why? Because he was in the field. He was in and doing the will of God. And he is laboring there. And as he is laboring, all of a sudden these battles begin to enter into his mind, into his head. I remember in boot camp a couple years ago, amen. Hopefully the kid's not here. He'll know I'm talking about him, but they won't know. Just don't make a face. Amen. And so what happens is this kid is standing there and a, a bumblebee lands on his back. Now those who are in the platoon, they remember this. This was kind of an interesting story. Because this boy had this bumblebee crawling all over his back and he sees it and he's freaking out and I say, you move, I'll jack you up! <laughs> he hears, I said, where's it at? It's on my back, sir. And he's standing at it. If you move, I'm telling you, I'll kill you. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. And the bee is crawling all over this kid's back. And what happens is eventually the bee flies off. And I said, where's the bee? It's on my back, sir. Where's it at now? It's crawling up over here, sir. It's crawling up over here, sir. Sir, it's over here. No, sir, it's right here. Sir, it's here, sir. <laughs> In that kid's mind, that bee was still on his back. 
And so what I did is I took the platoon around behind him so that they can see that there's no bee. And as he is there, this kid in his mind and his thoughts, you know what, they're going crazy. He is so nervous. He is sweating. He is perspiring. He's freaking out inside of his mind. And finally, in a fit of frenzy, he reaches back because he swears it's crawling on his neck. He grabs, and as he grabs to throw the bee away, there's no bee there. It was in his mind. See, there are people here this morning. There are bees all over you. That you're in the field and you're laboring. You can hear the devil. to die the Philippian jailer the men are worshipping the jails open up all the shackles come off and the Philippian jailer listen to me pulls his sword out because in his mind he has failed the mission that has been set before him he almost listen to me beloved he almost kills himself because he thought he failed see that doesn't happen at home that doesn't happen in the confines of you being inside of your mother church and God ministering and ministry. You see all the blessing, amen, as a disciple. You're prospering and all these things. See, but it happens, beloved, when you go in the field. It happens when you get outside and you begin to grow and you begin to mature and things begin to happen inside of your life. Beloved, it all happened in the field. mess with them. You know, you can lose your mind in the field. Battlefield wounds and injuries are very, very different. And I can remember uh, towards the beginning of the year, we had come down, my wife and I uh, just uh, did the marriage retreat in Houston and uh, other things and we wanted to get ministered to, so we came to the marriage retreat here. And that afternoon, we had gone over to Fredericksburg, and we went into the Nimitz Museum with Pastor Ruby, and we're walking through this museum, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a military guy, and, you know, when you serve your country, it's, it's, it's often hard for me even to say the Pledge of Allegiance because I realize that men have died for that flag and for our freedom. And so as I'm standing there, you know, I'm walking through this. Very, it's very emotional as you're walking through this museum. And what happens is they, they have a picture, a picture that I, I think forever is going to be burned into my mind. It is, it is a medic, Navy medic. What happens is this Marine is shot. You see him, and he is hurt. You know what? And this medic is, is, is leaning over this Marine. But in this picture, what happens is, you know what? You realize that the medic's back 
is towards the enemy and he is covering up this wounded soldier. That he has put his back to the enemy so that he can serve someone else. That this man was only opened up, amen, as he was going to serve, beloved. He became a target. Why? Because he wanted to serve. Because he wanted to make an impact. And there are people here this morning, listen to me. The reason why you battle, the reason why you're going through what you're going through, amen, is because you have chosen to serve. That God, amen, knows it. He's got your back. But how many know when bullets go flying by you, inside of your mind, you begin to go crazy? Why am I doing this? My life is falling apart. Remember a young pastor? I'm a young pastor. He actually was in his church and he took the church over. And, and what had happened is he already had his job, everything else. It was just a very good uh, transition. It was a, a pretty young church. And, you know, the guy was just a very good disciple. And what happens is as soon as he took the church, I remember I was going down to do a revival for him and he's there and, and he's, he tells me, he says, you know, Pastor Gordon, he goes, from the instant that I took this church, everything in my life fell apart. He goes, man, I've been at my job forever. He goes, but, but they never started persecuting me until I was thrust into service. See, there are peculiar battles, beloved, that are only for those that are in the field. We can have misconception in our minds, misconception of ministry. It's not what I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought when I got announced, you know, I come down, everyone's like, <sighs> that when I got to my city, they were going to do the same thing. <laughs> everyone listened. Well, they listened to me in the mother church. You meet them, they call you dude. What's up, dude? Dude. <laughs> See, what can happen is these thoughts, you know, I, I, I thought they would love me. He said he was going to come out to church if I bought him a dinner. He just needed a nickel for gas money. And so these misconceptions can begin to happen inside of our head, amen, because of these things in the field. You know what? We can also have a misconception of headship. Listen to what this woman says. She runs to the man of God. She grabs his feet. She says, you have deceived me. This was the man of God, beloved, that she had made a room for. 
This was the man of God that she spoke to her husband and said, listen, you know what, I, I, I know our house is kind of small, but this man of God always comes by. And, and she said, let's make a room. Let's cut this out. Let's put a bed in there for him. Let's put a lamp in there for him. That when this woman was in her right mind, headship made absolute sense to her. But when she became under distress, now all of a sudden the relationship that she used to have with headship, you know, it's not right anymore. She says, you deceived me. She says, I didn't ask for this. Interesting, over and over it says that he called her. He called her. He called her. He called her. You know what, beloved? We answer a calling. You know what's interesting about callings? Callings are really not suggestions. It's not like we call for, Lord, I just pray for a calling. No, we pray for anointing. But you don't pray for a calling. God calls. In fact, I told someone one time, said, man, uh, and that must be great being a preacher, a pastor, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> man, that must be awesome. So it's a calling. Because God put a seed in your heart. And that seed began to grow. You don't make it grow. God didn't ask you. It's like, uh, it's interesting is where, is, you know, there's a couple here, they, want, they need to go to China, you know what, and they know they need to go to China, but they're like, well, should I go to China? And see, you're, you're asking, and it's not an issue of asking, it's an issue of responding. Well, that's easier for you to say because you're not going there. <laughs> My China's the Golden Walk, amen, you know? <laughs> but I will do anything that God asked me to do. When I got saved, I said, I'll never paint another building. See, but God's calling is different. And what happens is that if we are not careful, we can have misconceptions about headship. A deception can begin to sink into our lives. See, this is why it is so important for you, Pastor, to call home. See, we, we think that we just need to call home when everything's going great. I had 50 people saved. And you're all excited. But see, what was needed in this man was to call when things were not as right. Isn't it interesting that Elisha tells Gehazi that the Lord hid this from me? had no idea there was so much distress. He is looking at this woman. He's like, you know what? I didn't realize this. Can I tell you something? Your pastor does not always realize the distress that you're going through. He, you know what? He, he's not God. 
He doesn't know the wrestling sometimes of your heart and your mind, beloved. And he can only know, beloved, when you speak it out to him. Yeah, I was speaking with uh, Pastor Greg Mitchell, and he was telling me about this woman that, uh, you know, she's a pastor's wife, and he was talking to her, and, you know, she was saying, you know, uh, I know that these things that, that the devil threw through my head were lies. I know you guys care for me. I know you guys love me. No, you guys made an investment in me. She says, but I just needed to call you and to speak it out, amen, so that I can judge this. He says, I had no idea. Didn't understand that. Didn't make sense to me. Can I tell you something, pastor? Your pastor doesn't want to bring you home. See, there are men that you labor, and in your mind, all you think is he wants to bring me home. That as you're there, he just wants to ask, he just wants to bring me home. And you're scared to talk to him, he's going to bring me home. And so what happens, amen, is the devil is lying to you and he's telling you these things. And you know what, you're, you're, you're there and you need help, you need counsel, you need God to speak to you, amen. But in your mind, in your heart, you think, he's just going to bring me home, that's it. He said, that's not why you got sent out. We do not send men out because we want to bring them home. We send them out. Why? Because we want them to succeed. We want them to be prosperous. We want them to go way beyond all the things that we've done. See, that is the heart of a pastor. That is the heart of us in ministry. You know, we don't want your ministry to fail. We don't want you to blow up. Amen. What we want is we want revival. We're willing to make an investment inside of you so that you become fruitful. You say, oh, well, I, I don't want to be bigger than this. You know, my, my mom. Listen, listen. Every mother wants their child to go beyond where she was. And it is a demonic strategy, beloved. Listen to me. In these last days that is trying to put a wedge between headship and the men and women that are out laboring, listen to me, amen? That that is the strategy. That we look at headship, we have a weird view of them. This woman says, why did you deceive me? She goes, I didn't ask for a son. But in her heart, she knew that she wanted one. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we can feel that we can't come home? Well, I don't mean redirection, I don't mean that, but, but it's like Pastor Cortez was saying that, you know, you, you, you have a place to come and to be ministered to. When this child got sick, the father said something very powerful. Take him to his mother. See, he needs to go back to his mom. He needs to go back to a place, amen, of reference point. Back to his first love. Back to where he was called. Back to where, you know what, the, 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 the spirit of God was imparted inside of him. Says, take him right now. And those servants took that boy and brought him to a particular place. See, we have a designated place for God to minister to us. 
That's what conference is about. It's a place where we can go and get fed, beloved. It's a place when our minds are scattered, amen, that we can come and our minds be brought back to clarity. You have a designated place. You know, in real estate, they say the three most important things is location, location, location. Where you go, where you station yourself, what happens inside of you. Isn't it interesting when Solomon was building the temple, he is realizing something. See, Solomon knows human nature. He goes, I'm building this house right here, Lord. And as I build this house, I know one day, because we're human, we're going to mess up. We're going to fall down. We're going to be broke, busted, cuts, can't be trusted. He says, but God, listen, when we come back to this place, he says, turn your ear and be attentive again to us. It is location. Naaman the leper, listen, he was going to be healed, but he had to go to a specific place. He says, you must go to the Jordan. That is where your healing is. He says, well, I want to go over here, and I want to go over there, and I want to go over here, and I want to listen to, you know, to Joel Osteen and all these other guys. And, uh, they're nice preachers, and he smiles all the time. I want to listen to that one. I want to listen to KBR. And he says, no. He says, listen, go to the Jordan. And he challenges him to go to that place, amen, to be ministered to, to be healed, amen, is a place where God can speak to us again. It is being in the presence of preaching. Listen to me, you don't need counseling. You need preaching. It's amazing to me. You can preach a sermon, and then all the people that are standing in line come and ask you, and are dealing with the issue that you just preached on. The temptation is to just get the tape. <laughs> See, we, we, we come to, we live in a generation of counseling. I need counseling, Pastor. No, you need preaching. You need Holy Ghost. Slobbering, spitting, preaching. Amen. <laughs> That'll solve every one of your problems. The, it is at home, listen, that your head is made right. It is as you come into your mother church where destiny was forged. Several years ago, Pastor Schultz preached on returning to Orem. That when we read this story and he runs to the cave, what he is doing is he's going back to the place where God spoke to him. He is saying, you know what, my references right now can become blurred and I need to go to a specific place. They took this child, they brought him and they put him in the room that the man of God would turn aside in and go and minister in. That was the place. She knew that the presence of God, that she could have put him anywhere in the house, but she said, no, put him in his room, close the door. Why? Because this is where this child is going to be raised from the dead from. He said, in this place, it was specific. I want to go to you lastly, making the connection. Because this woman had to make a choice. 
She had to make a connection. And see, we need to make a connection. If I were to ask how many of you are good, you know, everything's perfect in your life, I don't think anyone would raise their hand. We all have problems. How many have a great marriage, you know? And if you're honest, probably not a whole bunch of us would raise our hand. <laughs> because a great marriage is perspective. Is a great marriage because you have lots of stuff? Because you've got this romantic husband? You know, normally in marriage, one's romantic, one's not. Right? One neat, one sloppy. One's a spender, one's a saver. And so what you're wanting is you want them to be you. But if you were married to you, you'd be really bored. Can you hear me? Amen. You'd be saying, why do you always agree with me? I don't know. You know so, that's a, yeah. No. You're different. And so we've got to make a decision and make a connection. This woman decided something. She made up her mind. She didn't look at the circumstance. She said, it is well. How's this going? Dear, why, why are you going to church today? It's not a church day. It's well. What she did is she said, you know what? Saddle him up. Let's go. Got to get to the man of God. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. I don't want to hear nothing. Get up. She, and you know what she said? Just keep on going. Don't slow down. Don't slack. You put your eyeballs right there. You keep going. Unless I start screaming that you're dragging me behind you. She said, you know what? You just keep going. She made her mind up that she was going to reconnect. Listen, there are people here this evening, there are ministries here this, this morning, amen, that you need to learn to reconnect your growth and your future and your blessing. Listen to me. The fruitfulness of your church is tied into the fact that you reconnect. Plug in, amen. If your battery is dead, it doesn't help to have jumper cables hooked up to nothing. You're in the car, amen. Trying to turn, it's not going to turn on, bro. You've got to have more power than you. Say like the guy, well, I'm just going to preach. I'm not going to have revivals. I'm not going to do that. Listen, your, your, your church needs way more than you. It needs other perspectives of ministry. It needs to be connected. She made a choice to connect, to go back. She chose. See, God wants to bring healing this week. We're all pumped up. We're ready to go, man. How many know sometimes there's this little nagging in the back of your head? You're just waiting for it all to fall apart. Y'all looking at me like, no, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm going to go back, and it's going to be different. <laughs> What's different? I don't know what different is, but it's different. Amen. <laughs> you know how it can be different? If you're different. If you make up your mind, the things are going to be different. Just love him no matter what, dear. 
love her no matter what, sir. Make up your mind that, you know what? I'm going to make her love me. I don't care. You know, I was a kid. My mother hated to be tickled. But I loved it. My mother, she would fight. She'd punch. She'd kick. She would bite. She would scratch. She would do everything not to be tickled. But, but I made up my mind. She would come in from work. She'd be grouchy. I'd be looking at her and said, Mom, listen, you better start smiling. You better start smiling now. She says, boy, you touched me. She said, I said, Mom. And see, I, I was a little bigger then. You know, I wasn't in. So I said, Mom, you have a choice. You better I'm not going to smile, boy. So I said, listen, Mom, you better start smiling. I'm telling you right now. And she's backing up. She's like, boy, if you start tickling me, Willis. She goes, oh. But she, but she wasn't saved. She said a bunch of stuff. And so, you know, I was like, and I said, you know, so I said, you know what, Mom, that's it. And so what I would do is I would bury my head down in her chest and I would begin to tickle her. She's on the floor. We're wrestling around. She's laughing and laughing and laughing. And finally, you know what? That old funky spirit, it left. It was gone. See, you know why? Because she made up her mind. She said, it is well. I see all the circumstances that are going on. I see my son laying inside of a room. I see my ministry like it's dead. But you know what? It is well. That's what she said. She goes to the man of God. She says, okay, now fix it. (laughs) Abraham says, I'll sacrifice my son because I know you'll give it back to me resurrected. He believed. Three things that she did very quickly. The prophet went, and what he did is he stretched himself out on this child. He went and laid him up. He put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child. The child became warm. He does it again. The child comes to life. See, what brought that child back to life is the fact that he began to breathe in him again. You know why you come to conference? Because because we're breathing into you again. The valley of dry bones, powerful army rises up, but they're just standing there. And God tells him, prophesy. Breathe on them again. You know what we want? We want the Holy Spirit to breathe on us. Yes, we have problems. Yes, we have issues. Yes, we were all torn up in the valley of dry bones and we were broke, busted, disgusted, can't be trusted. But you know what? God breathe on us. And when he breathes on this child, the Bible says that, that, that she, the, uh, the prophet tells her to come pick up your child. Pick him up. Now, if this kid was old enough to work in the field, he was probably pretty big. So I don't know if he had a sumu mother or whatever she was. Amen. She may have been a big lady that could pick him up. But what is interesting, he says, pick up your son. But she does something before she picks up her son. The Bible says that she ran in, she fell at his feet, and, she, and, and bowed. You know what she was doing? She was getting back in the line of blessing. She said, you're my headship. 
she bowed. Why do we have such a hard time bowing? Only bow to God. But this woman bowed down. She fell at his feet. She realigned herself to the blessing of God. Next thing that she did is she picked him up. See, what she did, listen, God didn't lose the cutting edge, you did. God did not become lukewarm or cold, you did. And so in the beginning, yes, he will birth that inside of you. He'll get you all fired up, amen. But see, there's going to come a time in our walk with God when, like David, we're going to have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. She picked it up herself. She said, you know what? This is my destiny. This is my future. This is what God has for me. And she picked up her son. And lastly, she went back out. We love you, but I'll just be honest. Friday night, about 10 o'clock, we do smile. <laughs> because we go back to, because we, we feel and we believe that, that we have in, instilled in you enough that you're going to go back out and you're going to take care of business. Can you hear me, somebody? Amen. You've got to go. Will he still be at IHOP? Yes, he will. But see, you can go out with a gun sticking at him. Hello. Say, hey, how you doing? Clack, clack. <laughs> that chat. Let me show you my friend. Amen. <laughs> see, because sometimes, beloved, we can feel like our lives have been blown apart. That we've been sunk. The battleship has holes in it. That it's sitting on the bottom of the ocean. You know, I was reading a story, a man that was given to me about the USS West Virginia. It was attacked on Pearl Harbor. And what happens is this, this was a battleship and this battleship was there and as the strike begins to happen, two torpedoes immediately hit this and it blasts a large hole in the side and the captain is crying out, battle station! He is telling men to get down to the war room and the situation room and all of these things are going on and you know what, they begin to tell the account of this story and they're trying to keep their vessel together and as they're trying to keep their vessel together, another torpedo comes in and rips a 200-foot hole in the side of the ship and the ship begins to go down and they're running and they're trying to put the fires out and everything else. For, for two hours, the Japanese pounded on this battleship till it made it to the point where she was unable to make war. Finally, the call was given, abandon ship. All the seamen begin to jump off of the ship and the captain is standing there and he's, and he's watching all of this, his ship, his promise. So what happens is after the Japanese deem that they have destroyed this vessel, they go on to the next one. 
But you know what, beloved? That was not the end of the story with the West Dominion. After the Japanese left, the crew began to run back to their ship and they began to put out the fires and begin to do what they needed to do. And as the battle was over, what they did is they actually begin to repair this ship. They begin to figure out things that, you know what, needed to be uh, 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 advanced and things that needed to be uh, uh, fixed and things that needed to be uh, accelerated and made modifications to, and they begin to prepare, uh, uh, repair this war vessel. And so what happens is this ship, as they prepare it, they fix it. It is better than it has ever been. It has new weaponry. It has new armaments, all of these things. And they begin to raise this ship up. They begin to sail towards Japan. And the story goes that if the Navy had its way, that they would have made the Japanese sign the Declaration of Surrender on the Virginia. But what they did was, is it was actually signed on the Missouri and they sailed the Virginia right beside the Missouri so that when the commander of the Japanese army had to climb up the side, he would be looking the whole time at the West Virginia. That he would have to see that, you know what, pointing at him was if you flinch, if you burp, <laughs> if you look like you're going to do anything, you see all these guns that are pointing at you, they will decimate everything that you have. We will destroy. It was the only battleship that was sunk in Pearl Harbor that was sitting in Tokyo Bay when they signed the treaty. You see, there are people here. You feel like you're sunk. See, but God's repaired you. Can you hear me, somebody? very areas of your life that you feel like have been failures, God has used them and he has raised you up. And in a few hours you're going to sail into battle. That's all I have.